Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a podcast where two brothers answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. Back together again, the normal way, John. <laughs> At last. I At was last. Going th- I was going through my... I was. I went to turn over the calendar, and I, uh, I, f- I found out that it jumped straight from April to June. I was dismayed. that got me a little bit but only because it's been so long since i heard one of your jokes i'm really glad that our fake feud is over it was getting harder and harder to fake it but man what a what a what a what an intense period in both of our lives and i'm just glad that we're back together again i really genuinely missed you and i am so happy that you're here can i paint an audio picture for you hank can we take it yes i'm so curious because i can even through my little earbud i can hear things going on you can hear that it's a little bit of a different situation so i'd like to take you this this is going to be an episode of we're going to go full radio lap now hank Uh all right so i'm painting an audio picture with only the tools at my disposal i come to you live outside right now i'm looking at the back of a jiffy lube and at a dumpster. <laughs> and if you had smell-o-vision, it would be working overtime right now. I sure. am... I'll actually have a picture on the Patreon because I'm not Radio Lab quality at describing my surroundings. I'm sitting on a five-gallon bucket while my microphone <laughs> is, is, is on another five-gallon bucket so opposite me. And my, um, my, my computer, where the questions are, is on an empty fuel can of some kind. Oh, wow. It's a really... You think making movies... By the way, I'm on the set of the Turtles All the Way Down movie. I'm actually far enough away from the set that hopefully I can speak to you in, in my uh, outside voice. But um, you think making movies is super romantic and fancy mm-hmm. pants. Mm-hmm. But I'm just like... I'm staring at, like, half-burnt tires in a suburb of Cincinnati. Well, I, I bet a lot of times it is pretty fancy pants, but, I, you know, this is not a slight at all, but your movies aren't, like, big-budget blockbuster thrillers. They're you, certainly you know, not. No. They, they, they cost... They don't cost as much. No. Everybody, no. They're, they're, every, nobody wants it to... Everybody wants to keep the budget, you know, where it needs to be so yeah. that it will, like, work. Yeah, so if you feel like, wow, it sounds really, really weird... That's why I agree. Um, Also, the direction, just so you know, Hank, the direction of the wind is such that I am directly downwind from the dumpster itself. Yeah. Um, Right now in my my view, I have, there's like a, I think it's part of a a car, like like a bumper, like half of a bumper. And then I also have a number of discarded beer cans. So that's the vibe. That's how we're, that's how we're, that's how we're coming to you today live it's yeah, happening well so uh, you you showed me a little bit because we had our patreon live stream before this and i saw it a little bit and i think that what you haven't expressed is that you are in the woods 
Oh yeah, a little bit. Yeah, well, that's the only like it's uh, yeah. It's I not kept, like you're sitting in a parking lot. You like no. went behind a fence to like one of those areas in between two spaces where yes. they've just sort of let the trees do what they will. Yeah, it's all it's all honeysuckle bushes that have just yeah. grown wild for the last thirty five years. It's very much. I am very much in the woods in a. I semi- felt like I saw a pair of pants on the ground next to you. Yeah. There's some clothing. I would describe this as a liminal space, a space between spaces. It's very similar to the space where our logo appears on the back of the AFC Wimbledon shorts. Is it buttock? Is it thigh? Is it leg? Nobody knows for sure. Yes. Well, it's all leg, John. It's all leg. If if I've learned anything from being me, that entire area is Is leg. leg. Well, I'll tell you what, Hank. I am in the high upper leg of Cincinnati right now. I have to say, Cincinnati, by the way, is a great town. I am loving my time here. It's just... I'm a little jealous on Indianapolis's behalf. I feel like we could, oh, achi- yeah? we could achieve this with just a little bit of work, and I'm disappointed that you. we haven't. Look at you. Okay. But, I mean, everybody on the coast needs to understand that the middle does exist and is is available. I was in Austin, Texas recently, and there was a sign for Ohio that was like, Ohio, it's cheaper <laughs> That's true. I mean, I don't remember the exact words, but that was a hundred percent the message they were trying to get across. Yeah, I was like, all right, yeah, we have yeah. less traffic. That's. I feel like <laughs> Indianapolis doesn't lean into that enough. Indianapolis should be like, hey, you want to be at work in twelve minutes? <laughs> Come to Indianapolis. <laughs> yeah, it, it works. Everything's working. It's, it's fine. Oh, that is actually. That's the that's one of the that's the embarrassing motto that one of our former governors, who shall remain nameless, has tried to like make Indiana the state that works. Oh wow! I don't know. I get it. I get why he like or they like that. Yeah, it's it, it's it, a he. That's correct. Yeah, that's not. A, I think that's good copywriting, honestly. Well, he used to be vice president, so. I'm, I, I can now guess who this is. Um, well, actually, you can't. Indianapolis, as uh, one of one Indianapolis vice president put it, uh, Indiana is home to more second-rate men than any other state in the country, because we do produce a lot of vice presidents. Yeah, but uh, are they? Uh, how many of them are around? Um, two. Oh, Dan Quayle. Who's the other one? Dan Quayle. Dan Quayle. But he now lives in Arizona, and as you know, Hank. My home cemetery. Oh God! Crown, Crown are we going to talk? Cemetery. We're going to talk about whether or not Dan Quayle's going to get buried in your cemetery right now. As you know, uh, one of my one of the most important All right, projects. I'm writing of my a life, letter to the Dan Quayle estate again. One of again. the most important projects in my life is trying to make sure that Dan Quayle, should he ever die, God forbid, chooses to make his last and final resting place right. Crown Hill Cemetery in Indianapolis, even though he himself has lived in Arizona for several decades. Everybody get out your pens. <laughs> Dear Vice President Quayle, I don't know much about you anymore. I've forgotten most of it. I'm sorry about the whole potato thing. That seems overblown. I'm sure that there was some other stuff that oh, I was probably uh, a bigger deal. Those, for those who don't remember, like the big scandal of Dan Quayle's vice presidency was that he misspelled potato, which like if only we could go back to those days. <laughs> it was it was legitimately embarrassing. He was at a spelling bee and he, t- he told a child that he spelled potato wrong when the child did not spell potato wrong. Yeah, that was a, it was a little brutal. That's, that's it is the word potato. So seems the card he had. And this would have totally happened to me. The card he had yeah. that told him the correct spelling of potato yeah. was the wrong spelling of potato. Not only that. And you're like, I don't know. The card probably is right. What do, I'm Dan Quayle. Right. I don't know. Hank. This is a spelling bee card. Hank, just to be clear, though, we need to yeah. burnish the legacy of Dan Quayle. We need to emphasize the is many amazing accomplishments of Dan Quayle's vice presidency so that he will listen to the podcast and think to himself, right, okay. you know what I should do? I should make sure I end up at Crown Hill, home of more vice presidents than any other location on earth. Dear Vice President Danquell, the thing I already said, um, you are, you live in Arizona, but you know in your heart and deep in your genes and your bones and your body and your blood, you're an Indianapolis boy or an Indiana boy anyway. Those amber waves of grain, those are yours. Those um, mostly amber waves of corn, but go on. The 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 White River. Yep. Wow. It really good. Speaks your name with its noises. It just says Dagwell, 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 Dagwell. 
it burbles along, whispering as it goes. Dan Quayle, Dan Quayle, Dan Quayle, Dan Quayle, Dan Quayle. And the and the straight, straight streets. They spell out with their straight, straight lines in angular letters. Quail. And and there's probably a quail. When we're gonna make the state bird your the quail, even we if will. we don't have a lot of them. Do you we have will. quail? Probably. Sure you do. Probably. Probably. Yeah. The escape, we're gonna do that for you. You need to get rid of and look, in Arizona, you'll never be a true part of the land. No. Because it's so dry, everything just fossilizes. Mm-hmm. You need to be in a wet place. Like Crown Hill Cemetery. <laughs> Sincerely, yeah. your name. Print. <laughs> First off, God forbid somebody actually does that, Hank, because the, it, I think it was, it, it was actually pretty good. Even the w- river whispering Dan Quayle. That Dan part Quayle was, was good. The good. part where I was like, Dan Quayle, your body deserves to be moist was a not great. That, that part, please don't include that if you write. And, and by the way, Vice President Quayle, if you're listening, um, I look, we all die. And I just want to make sure that you and I end up in the same place, my friend. And that place is Crown Hill Cemetery in Indianapolis. I think a lot about John Green's grave because I, I think it matters to him a lot. Mm. I think about it more than I think about my grave. It, I know. It matters to me a little. It doesn't matter to me a lot. Like I think I'm it matters like, to me more than it matters to you. I'm not but like I want James John's... Whitcomb Riley. I don't need to be buried at the top of the hill like some. Like no, I think I'm some no. Mr. But fancy I, pants. I, I, w- I want there to be something special. I, like, mm-hmm. I want... I want you to come up with something good. And, like, uh, be, uh, you being, like, a John Green, responsible for Dan Quayle's burial <laughs> right around the corner. Like, that's what you really took Novelist, out of this Novelist, YouTuber, life. father, husband, man who oversaw the Recruit Dan Quayle to Crown Hill campaign. Oh, man. I bet I... Oh, gosh. I bet if I read Dan Quayle's books, I probably would be like, oof, yeesh. Well, I don't know that Dan Quayle and I share values. That's not that's not what it's about. It's about believing we want to share some good wet dirt. It's about believing that Indianapolis is the right home really for all dead vice presidents. And I want to also yeah. reach out to some of the vice presidents who never became president who mm. or I should say haven't become president yet. Vice President Quayle, because the arc of history is long. But um <laughs> and I presidents are very old. <laughs> I want to reach out to uh, to some of the other vice presidents who have absolutely no connection to Indiana. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I want to write, like, uh, who is that guy? <laughs> Lloyd Benson? Did he become vice president? <laughs> is, he, is he around? I don't think so. <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's, a, that's an unfamiliar name to me. I John, you got, I, here are your options. Okay. You got Al Gore. You I want to reach D- out to, like, Al Gore, somebody who has absolutely no connection to Indiana, and be like, listen, mm-hmm. man. You want to be a stop on the vice president tour? You need to be buried yeah. in Crown There's Hill. We've already got four of them. Yeah, and and K- Kamala Harris too. Well, dear vice president Harris, I, I know like you're 57 years old. No, no, no. She's got a good chance of becoming president. We only at Crown Hill. We only want vice presidents no, who didn't I'll become president. No, I'll take Joe Biden. I think Joe Biden should no, be in no, Crown no. Hill too. No, 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 that's I, too much. I don't want it. No, we already we no. got one president, Benjamin Harrison. That's all we can handle. Uh, <laughs> if we get if we get two presidents, Hank, people are going to start coming to Crown Hill willy nilly. We're going to have we're going to we, be one of the leading tourist destinations of have America. Have we asked a question? We yet? have not asked a question, but I also want to tell you about my idea, my new podcast idea. Is it this? Because it's oh, not. Oh God. I, what? What's happening? Oh, oh, we have not asked a question yet, Hank, but I need to tell you about my mortifications. Uh-huh. I don't want this, like, dear Hank and John, just to become this week in mortifications, but can I tell you about the absolutely, truly, deeply mortifying thing that happened to me on on Wednesday? Yes. Okay, so I'm on the set of the Turtles All the Way Down movie. It's the third day of shooting. I don't know most of the people, but I've, like, tried to be, you know, friendly and to meet people. And everyone is really nice, and it's incredible uh-huh. to have all these people uh-huh. pouring their love into into this story. And it's just an, I'm, I'm, it's an amazing experience. And a, a young woman uh, who I think works as a, as a grip doing, like, construction stuff, I don't, really, I don't really know what everyone does, but I think that's what she does. She comes up to uh-huh. me, and she says, I'm sure lots of people have let you know about this, um, but I just want you to know. I, I just want to make sure that you know that there's a huge hole in your pants. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
And I was like, what do you mean you're sure a lot of people have let me know about this? And she was like, well, it's been there since this morning. And you and 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 maybe you're just the kind of person who just lives that way. Well, so then I was like, oh, my God. And I was like, so so I was was talking. I was saying how embarrassed I was as I was like walking backwards back to my car. Um, sure, sure. And the director of the movie, Hannah, God bless her, said, oh, I thought it was a fashion thing. <laughs> Where was the hole? In the, in the seat, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> you know, so, the le- you could just say leg. It was the very upper it was leg. In the, it was in the upper, upper leg. It was in the upper leg. And, Super um, upper leg, yeah. It was near the pocket. It was near what, what many people call the upper leg pocket of the jeans. <laughs> and um, I was like, first off, Sandra, thank you. You are a hero. Indeed, you I mean, are the... Every, everybody, else is a, you, everybody else is a disaster. You are the only hero on this entire movie set. Everyone else is a monster. <laughs> Everyone, Nobody else gets any points, but you get all the points. So that was nice. All right, let's answer Good. some questions from our listeners. All right, Hank, uh, this is supposed to be a podcast where we answer questions from our listeners, so let's try to do that, beginning with this one from Leah, who writes, Dear John and Hank, when my now husband and I started dating in high school, he wanted to be an astronaut, like most people. But the thing is, (laughs) the possibility of that happening over time has become higher (laughs) because he is currently an astrophysicist working for NASA. Mm, Okay. I am terrified of the idea of my partner being strapped inside of a giant rocket that is propelled into the cold, dead reaches of outer space. Well, good news, Leah. As Hank is about to tell you, not actually that cold. Just just very, very dead. Obviously, I want to support his dreams, though. How do I cope if and when my partner actually does end up rocketing into space? Pumpkins and penguins, Leah. Well, Leah, first of all, I think that your partner probably is is has a higher probability than once, but still, still low. Not, not it's still pretty low. Um, it's it's not easy to become an astronaut, and there are not a lot of seats uh, to get filled, but. It certainly is a thing that happens to real people. It's a real job that real people have, and they go to space. Um, it seems to be getting safer as time goes on, so that's good. But it is definitely a dangerous job, and there are lots of people who have dangerous jobs, and they have partners, and it is not uh, its not comfortable. Yeah, that's the first thing I'd say, is that you're not alone in this, you know? Um, you might be near alone in terms of astronauting, but you're not alone yeah. in terms of having a partner whose work is dangerous and whose welfare you worry for. That said, like I, part of being in a relationship is making space for that other person, whether you know mm-hmm. it's a friendship or a romantic partnership or whatever. And part of making that space is understanding that they take on different risks than you take on and that they have a different expectation of risk. That said, I think it should be a conversation. Like, I think it should be an ongoing conversation where you're like, man, it sure does seem a little sketchy up there. I don't, I, I wouldn't <laughs> yeah. be afraid to say that. But like, if Sarah, I was thinking like, when I read this question, if Sarah wanted to go to space, which admittedly right. is hard to imagine, <laughs> but if Sarah wanted to go to space, I would be like, uh-huh. you know, I, just so you know, I'm going to stay here so that... yeah there's somebody yeah it's definitely not good to put two parents on a spaceship at the same time yeah i'm gonna hang out here but uh-huh. but i you know if this is something you really want to do like come back yes it's it's cool and i get why it's cool and i get why you would want to do it and i, I don't <laughs> <laughs> i mean the other thing is it's such like a uh like it's it's particularly nerve-wracking like it's it's what like there's going to be a countdown oh, and everybody's going to be watching oh god i, I it would happens. be unbearable and it would i, I don't i, could I don't not. really know how to deal with the anxiety of a moment like that i can't um, even like watch so. my like when my soccer team not me other people strangers i don't know are taking <laughs> penalty kicks in a high stress situation i can't watch it <laughs> like yeah i couldn't i couldn't i, I oh yes that's it's Honestly, it does seem very stressful. I am deeply sympathetic to Leah in this situation. John, this next question comes from Jody, who asks, Dear Hank and John, whenever it's sunny, I like to go out and pull dandelions in my yard, and I keep at it until I fill a five-gallon bucket, and then I stop for the day. I'm sorry. Can, you, can we back yes. up again? Can you, uh, can you say the, the, the first sentence one more time, please? 
Whenever it's sunny, mm-hmm. I like to go out and pull dandelions in my yard. One what more time. One more time, please. Whenever it's sunny, mm-hmm. I like to go out and pull dandelions in my okay. yard. Can we just roll it back just to this word that starts with a D? And can you say that four times for me, just right in a row? <laughs> Is it not pronounced dandelions? Just one, four, four times, please. Dandelion, 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 dandelion. All right, you got you got closer. The the way I'm hearing it, and I don't like to uh-huh. criticize enunciation, but the way I'm hearing it is as if you think that it is actually dandy lions, like fancy lions. <laughs> this is like a bunch of fancy. <laughs> they kind of look like they're not like a mane; they're like yellow. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. A no, lion. I get, but it's not. But dandelion. it's it's dandelion. 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 That's how mm. I've always said it. Like almost like Dan B lion, but with a duh dandelion. And you say oh, it wow, like you're right. you say it like dandelion, like you and dandelion. you say it like dandelion, like it's a dandelion, which I like. Dandelion. Yeah. Okay. Great. No, I like it. I I like it. I just I don't think it's technically correct, but I find it very enjoyable. No, no, very I've enjoyable. gone and looked, and it's definitely uh, pronounced dandelion. Yeah, that's how I've always said it. But I like your pronunciation better, so I think we should convert all of us right now. It's dandelions from here on out. Wikipedia. Uh, anyway, it's like how you say Wikipedia, <laughs> and then, but like the thing about the Wikipedia thing is that your pronunciation, at least in 2007, was correct. Yeah, like well, it's definitely they wanted they wanted Wikipedia. it to be called Wikipedia, but yeah. it just like over time became Wikipedia, whether they wanted it or not. Yeah, and that is indeed how we are going to make dandelions happen. One day at a time. I mean, when you say dandelions, it sounds right to me. So I know that I'm not like making this up. Yeah, no, I I love it. I think I want. I'm a hundred percent in favor of it. It's okay. dand, it's dandelions from here on out. Anyway, the question is: uh, between the sunny days, yeah, uh, the dandelions are always growing. Yeah. At this rate, am I going to ever get rid of all of the dandelions in my yard? Is this a pointless <laughs> and unending task? Is it worth it to just embrace the vitamin D and fresh air? Yard work makes me grody, Jody. If you like pulling dandelions, yeah. <laughs> now it sounds funny to me. If you like pulling dandelions, uh, pull dandelions. Yeah. If if you if you start to see them as like a scourge that makes you a little mad to see it, every individual dandelion, you're gonna be in a bad place. You're At least have, if you're in my town, you're gonna have a bad life because there's there's no controlling the dandelions. There's every. Every park is full of them. Every yard is full of them. There are a couple of yards that that use like a weed killer to kill the dandelions and also every other broadleafed plant. And so we have like violets that grow like volunteer in our yard. And yeah. if we put the weed killer down, we'd kill them as well. And yeah. they smell really good and they look really cute. So I like them. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to. And so it's just like, you know, we, we pull dandelions to not have as many, but we don't pretend that we're going to get rid of all of them. Well, right now, from the edge of a very small wilderness here in suburban Cincinnati, I can see yeah. approximately 650 dandelions. I'm trying to pra- practice the pronunciation. Approximately 650 dandelions. Dan- dandelions. There. Approximately 650 dandelions. There, I think I got it. It's it's emphasizing the look. Approximately 650 dandelions and... There's a car alarm. <laughs> Welcome to my life. <laughs> I bet the people who are making the movie are really mad right now. Um, yep. I bet they're super annoyed with whoever that That's is. That's going to be fun for them. But, I, yeah, they're, it, it's like trying to get rid of all the honeysuckle, picking oh, them out yeah. one by one. That said, if you pick them out one by one, there's lots of edible parts of dandelions that you can enjoy. I pulled a dandelion the other day, and it came out with a root that was like a carrot. It was like as long and thick as a carrot. Apparently you can eat those. I didn't eat it. I mean, you can definitely make tea from dandelion roots. I've done that before. But in general, if you want to know about how to make your dandelions delicious, I recommend the TikTok of Alexis Nicole. Fantastic. Yes. So do dig them out as it pleases you. As it pleases you. And eat them. If you want. If if it pleases you. Yes. All right, Hank, we have another question. This one's from Jordan, who writes, Dear John and Hank, what are some words and phrases that I can use when going to art exhibits with my more high-cultured friends that will make Mm. me sound knowledgeable or at least less stupid? I feel like I shouldn't keep looking at paintings and saying, I like the vibe of this one. Pumpkins and penguins, Jordan. Well, first off, I actually think (laughs) I like the vibe of this one is a really good response. 
-hmm. Secondly, the thing that you can do when you are looking at art to sound the smartest when you are with your high-cultured friends is to ask them to talk to you about that artwork. Because mm -hmm. nothing makes you seem smarter than letting your friends talk. Because if you oh, just let, if you just let your it's friends true. talk at the end of it, your friends will be like, "Ah, oh, what a smart person that Jordan is. He allowed me to talk for seven straight minutes." <laughs> this is this is what the high cultured people want is <laughs> yes, to be they, listened to. <laughs> they want to opine, and so you give them an opportunity to opine. But so you say, so you say, why do I like the vibe of this one? Right. And then they say, oh, yes. it's the balance, it's the contrast, yes. it's the texture. Right. And they it's say, the well, in the, in the early 60s, as I'm sure you know, an awareness yes. of materiality was emerging. And with that came the question of the thingness of a thing. And when does a thing attain thingness and all mm -hmm. that stuff. And I mean, Sarah read this book once called... Um, uh, it was called like it was called something like the anxiety of chromatic engagement. Oh yes, I have that for sure. <laughs> you know, I have most of the major anxieties, so I do, including I can, including the chromatic engagement. One. I can certainly feel anxious around chromatic engagement. Um, <laughs> like right now, I'm chromatically engaging with the redness and the yellowness of the Jiffy Lube logo, and it it is yeah. provoking some anxiety for for sure. Yeah, they, it's, it's it's meant to stand out. Yeah, to but, cause an emotion. But I, I, I think like some rules of thumb Sarah gave me when we first started talking about art were one: ask a lot of questions, don't make a lot of statements, which I think is really good advice just in general. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like two, uh, when you're talking about an artist's work, you're talking about their work, like their work in general, not just one work. When you're talking about mm -hmm. one work, you're talking about this work or a work or this group of works. And um, and the other thing is that uh, when I was accustomed to saying modern art, a lot of times what I actually meant was contemporary art, like art being made after 1960 right. or art being made yeah. now or whatever. Uh -huh. And so modern art refers to a specific moment, the moment of modernism, which has passed. This is bad. <laughs> Why? Uh, because words ideally mean the thing that that they mean. Uh, when you're naming things, and I'm not, and like, oh, look, oh, well, and this is, I, I have yes, no, yes, and this I, is part I can, of what I, the, yes. yeah, chemistry has no, has has no, or biology, we we have no leg to stand on here. Yeah. We name things terribly. Yeah, sometimes great, sometimes fantastic, but yeah. oftentimes it's like, how do you say it in Latin? Right, and it's right, like, right. Why didn't you just ha ask how do you say it in English? Yeah, what's the worst version of this? How can we make this the least approachable yeah, thing in the world? And that is definitely something that the art world does, and the mm -hmm. art world does that partly to build up walls to increase the perceived value, the perceived luxury goodness of the luxury good of an artwork. Yeah. Like that is like that's not a coincidence that the art world sounds so stuffy and fancy. Now there are moments like with when you dig really deep into anything, you need a certain precision of language. This is something we've talked about before, like when you're an expert in biology, you need a precision of language that you don't need when you're talking about biology for regular people and the same is true of art history or literary analysis or anything. But most of the time we can talk about most of what is interesting about art and art history with language that most people know. So, one of the one of the most helpful things I've learned is uh, in in art is that you can't say modern unless you know what that means, and in, uh, so instead you say contemporary. Mm -hmm. But isn't there like post contemporary now, which makes no. me very no. There's no. There's sort they of an emerging. They were an, like, we will not allow that to happen. Contemporary well, is just what's happening right now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Contemporary is happening okay. now, but there is a, like after modernism, you now hear some art museums talk about post-war art like the sort of oh. from the 19 say the 1945 to say 1967 and then people talk about contemporary art as art being made since 1967 or whatever but like these are always changing definitions oh, yeah. but I, I always found it hilarious that Sarah got an art history degree in contemporary art like it's such a wonderful <laughs> contradiction in terms <laughs> 
wow, that's weird. <laughs> it's like uh, it's like getting a it's like getting a PhD in the history of biology happening now. Yeah. Well, I mean, you could though. You know, the the history Hank, of biology. What would you get a PhD in if you could go get a PhD? I would definitely get a PhD in uh, internet communication stuff. Oh, you would. That's right. You totally yeah. would. And you yeah. might. Like, that's still on the table for you. It's not. It's, I, would, I, I mean, if, if I lost a couple jobs, like if I got awfully fired, I might. I would get a PhD in the history of infectious disease and our relationship to infectious disease. And it is very much on the table for yes. me. Like, that I think, is not... I think that that would be fantastic. That is not impossible. But, I mean, I, I, I would want, I want to get so many different PhDs. But I... Mostly right now, I think one of the big one of the like where like my interest aligns with what I think is sort of most important right. for society right now, right. I think is like understanding how humans communicate through the Internet and the impacts of it and the extent. Well, one of the thing I'm very curious about and I don't think there's been a lot of research on is the extent like the systems we use to build up inoculations to strategies for manipulation mm. and like whether that's like mm-hmm. misinformation or conspiracy mm-hmm. or just like advertising yeah um how how fast does culture build up inoculations against like everything from clickbait to conspiracy theory mm, that'd be really interesting like how fast did we build up a like i mean you could look at it historically like like what happened after the emergence of the printing press how did yes. we yeah. come to establish an idea of truth in the wake of that technological revolution. But you could also just look at it in the history of the internet. Like, we've tried to do that a few times and sometimes had some success. Like, Wikipedia is a bit of a success story. It's not an unambiguous success story. It's Wikipedia. (laughs) (laughs) And it's dandelions, but we're we're embracing the new, Hank. That's right, that's right. (laughs) We're going contemporary. Hey, speaking of the last question, this one comes from Hannah, who writes, Dear John and Hank, hey, scientifically, what is a vibe? (laughs) I feel like... I feel like I might yeah, want to... I, I really now great, like the idea... That's a great PhD thesis. Yes, yes, I want to get a PhD in vibes. <laughs> what are you studying? Yeah, if you I'm, ever get an honorary what? doctorate, do you get to choose what it's in? I hope so. Because I would take vibes. Yeah, I'd like to get a PhD in, like, just the vibe of this room right now. Um, yeah. I'd like to... I'd love to study the vibe of this little um, thicket little of honeysuckle studio. bushes. <laughs> My bucket studio. I love that you got a bucket studio. John and two buckets. It's just a man, two buckets. Two buckets and John and, and a, a fuel computer. can. Computer with no internet access, no less. A man with two buckets, a, com- uh, a fuel can, and three thousand dollars of equipment. <laughs> Seriously, maybe more. <laughs> you count oh my, my phone. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, Hank, what is a vibe scientifically? Hi. Man, I don't. Well, I don't think that we've uh, we're going to be able to answer that question. I don't think I don't think that science well, is going to so have that. Hannah goes Scott. on to get specific, and I think her specificity okay. is really interesting. Hannah writes: When I get into the car with my mother or father, I can tell within two seconds whether or not the interaction will be pleasant. What's up oh, with wow. that energy, man? And that's so true. Like you can mm-hmm. tell. You can tell yeah. the vibes. How do you know vibes? That, yeah. Well, this is. This well, what I will say is not an answer to the question, but it is that human communication is tremendously complicated, and we take in much more information than we know that we take in, and we process it very quickly. And you know, one of my favorite things is uh, in order to sort of check myself in terms of my own like th- th- my theoretical ability to make judgments about people is that I can sit in an airport and think I know an awful lot about every person walking by. Right. Of course I don't. Right. But like my brain is making up ideas and stories about them. It's like I know that person's a college student, that person's, you know, a, a business person, that's, you know, a you know, a suburban mom. Like you just like can you can imagine that you know who somebody voted for just by looking at them in an airport. Right. And that, and that's wrong. You can't but like my brain thinks it can. Mm-hmm. And so oftentimes the vibe is very much wrong. 
Um, probably not as much when you're talking about your mom in the car. With your mom you and dad, your mom yeah. Well. Like, I think with your mom and dad, you know their body language, yes. and, and you may not be conscious of how they're sitting in the car, but or how their voice catches on their first syllable, but you know, because you have had so many previous experiences. Yeah. But then I oftentimes hear, like, people talking about the vibe of things that they don't like of communities that they don't interact with right and i'm like i think that what you mean is that you don't like those people and you're just trying to justify real quick Uh, yeah for sure and i also think that we fill in vacuums of information and Mm -hmm. we often fill them in incorrectly this is a huge problem i have where i assume without with very limited evidence that like somebody is really angry or that somebody resents the hell out of me or something. And then it turns out reality is more complicated. Right. Like you got the vibe, right. But you didn't get like the source of the vibe, right. This is constant, a constant problem in relationships. And with the, and that having a five-year-old is like, I understand that he's mad and he's mad at me, but the fact that he's mad at me does not, does not mean that the thing he's mad about was anything to do with me. Right. Like he's mad at me because he fell down. Yeah. And yeah. you know, and like he's, he's five. So yeah. like he's not projecting his anger in the right, in the right way. Like he wants to be mad and he's like, ah, you're there. And he's always right. mad at me, which is something that we all do. Like we get better at as we get older. But like right now, he's doing that a lot, and I'm like, dude, yeah, I didn't push you. Like you fell. It happens. Right. You're right. But I you think know. that especially at that age, you still sort of think of your parents as extensions of yourself. Right. And like, why, why did you let this happen? Why did you let you, this happen? You've protected me other times. You are part of me, and it's weird yeah. that my right arm didn't catch me as I fell. Yeah. And I'm mad. John, this next question comes from Abby, who asks, Dear Hank and John, how do you think of new jokes? When I try, I invariably just picture a tomato and cease to have any other thoughts. Tomato, tomato, Abby. Hank, before I answer the question, can I just give you another little peek behind the curtain here? Um, Sure, sure. My back hurts. I bet that's true. (laughs) Squatting on a bucket is not as comfortable as it used to be. John, how worried, like, are you squatting on the bucket? Because you're, like, yeah. worried that the bucket it isn't, like, structurally sound? There is that sounds like it would be really uncomfortable. There is definitely a little part of me that feels if I move my body even very slightly, I will fall through the bucket. <laughs> like, yeah, like, you don't, what I, you don't want to do is, like, have this be a, a real old bucket that yeah. is not, Well, that's, I mean, that's, that's what I would say about this bucket, Hank. This, this is not, like, a six-month-old yeah. bucket. This bucket is... I, <laughs> I would estimate it's obviously in the first half of its life because it lives for like 12,000 years, but um, Uh it's not in the first half of its useful life. Like this may be the last time this bucket is meaningfully used by a human being. This bucket may be having its last proper experience of the Anthropocene. Like when I turn this bucket over, when this, when this podcast ends, that may be the last time the bucket turns over. When, when, Oh my god, that is so loud! <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. So somebody, somebody from the movie what is was that? backing up. That was. It's like a, it's like a semi truck from the movie. Okay. Um, yeah. I don't. Okay. I, I never. There's so many semi trucks associated with the movie, and I don't. I don't know what's really happening in any of them. What do they all do? Who knows? What, what I'm worried about, John. I only know the one that has Diet Mountain Dew in it. That's <laughs> <laughs> too bad you don't have a Dr Pepper truck. I, I talk, what I'm worried about. Yeah. Is that is that you end up. That with the bucket breaking and not only a, a new hole in the upper leg of your pant, but also oh, a God. new hole in the upper leg of your body. <laughs> so that I, was a joke. I really cannot. Joke, the I way cannot I thought afford, of it, I cannot afford another <laughs> humiliation on this set. Yeah. So that was a joke. Yeah. And the way that I thought of that joke was okay. We're talking like th- my 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 brain was like I'm worried that John is gonna hurt his butt. Yeah. Um, and then I was like, oh, earlier we talked about a hole in John's pants. And if you hurt his butt, then there would be, we can, I can refer back to that previous. And it would have been funnier if I could remember the name of the director. Hannah something? Hannah Marks, yeah. Okay. So if I could have said, like, it, w- it, it will be, you know, I can sort of call back to John's mortification of needing to go up to Hannah Marks, a, uh, a, st- a director who he respects and has already uh, mocked him a little bit accidentally for his pant choices. 
and and how to talk about a, a an embarrassing wound yeah. that actually needs medical attention. Yeah, I would have had to. That like, seems there like is a, a, there is yeah. a medic on set, and the thought of having to go to the medic and say, "I'm sorry, <laughs> I fell I fell through a bucket while making a podcast with my brother," <laughs> it's not is not an appetizing thought. Yeah. So I think so that I had is, a thought. So, the thought was funny, and I said the thought out loud. Yeah, so that's a lot of it. But I also think that the way people come up with thoughts is different. And this is something that's been on my mind a lot, because when Hannah and I have been talking about the script with the producers and when we're all working together, a lot of times, you know, they'll be talking and I'll be typing. And I the way that I have thoughts mostly is by typing them and I can like work off of Hank jokes and sometimes I can come up with jokes of my own but a lot of the way that I think through something that is such a loud noise is by typing <laughs> and you know the, and oh, typing okay. is well hold on what? What? what I mean isn't it a problem for the movie people that you're making that noise anyway um, the, so so for me, the way that I think is partly through typing. And it's the same way for Hannah, actually. And so we'll be, like, writing something together in a Google Doc while other people are talking. And that works for us. But, but mm -hmm. I find that, like, if somebody says, like, hey, what's a good idea for blank, my mind immediately goes blank. If somebody says, like, what's, what book are you reading right now, my mind goes blank. And so... Right. Different people have thoughts in different ways. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and I and like uh, coming up with a joke. I don't tend to sit down to write jokes. Though what I what does often happen is when I'm writing fiction, the characters will make jokes because just the same way that I would make a joke during a conversation. I do love jokes. Mm -hmm. Whereas what I don't love is that noise. Oh my oh, god! I mean, the sound so loud. Those air those air brakes i know i'm re we're really radio labbing it up back here yeah well <laughs> i like next I, are you gonna do this are you gonna be outside next week for the podcast because oh, if so hey, i'm probably, gonna go outside for the podcast next probably, week and, and we're gonna I'm have probably, competing soundscapes probably gonna be outside forever which actually reminds me that today's podcast is brought to you by the turtles all the way down movie the turtles all the way down movie apparently we're it's filmed entirely outdoors this podcast is also brought to you by two buckets it is literally brought to you by two buckets, without which John would be having an even worse time sitting on the moist Cincinnati ground. And of course, I don't know why Hank is obsessed with the moisture of Midwestern ground today. It's, it's a very, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a, very, it's a wet place. It's, it's, it's wetter than. It's really not. It's just that you live in a very dry place. It's very dry. And anyway, uh, it, additionally, of course, today's podcast is brought to you by the fuel can. <laughs> 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 the fuel can currently supporting my laptop, an integral part of today's podcast. And this podcast is brought to you by Dandelions, Wikipedia, and Vibes. Dandelions, Wikipedia, and Vibes. Probably real. At least Hank can pronounce Vibes. Oh, my God. We also have a Project for Awesome message from Chelsea who writes, A shout out to strangers I'll never meet, but I'm grateful for this year. To the Greens and other creators, to healthcare workers everywhere, to activists and teachers, to whoever invented bacon maple donuts, <laughs> and to people who have sacrificed holidays and family dinners and friendly gatherings to make the world safer. Though we've never met, I see you, I appreciate you, and you are not alone. We're here because we're here. That's lovely, Chelsea. Chelsea, that was so great. Thank you. Thank you. That is, gosh, I feel like... I've always felt like, or for years, I felt like we just, one of the things that we really have is a deficit of appreciation and that it helps so much yeah. me personally. And it also helps the people being appreciated. Yeah. So thank you for that reminder. Taking time to be grateful for, for strangers, for strangers is really yeah. important stuff. Yeah. We should really, Hank, just let the Project for Awesome Messages be the podcast. It's much better than any of the writing that we do <laughs> for it. Yeah. This episode of Dear Hank John is brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is there to help you maintain the kinds of habits that you want to have. For me, I need to have the right kind of food in the house or I will eat whatever. Oreo recently sent me some free fancy Oreos. They were weird. I ate all of them. I ate all of them in a week and it was a problem. I can't do that. I need to have healthy, good stuff in the house and Thrive Market can help you have healthy habits. It's a great go-to for all your grocery and household essentials. 
essentials and the convenience of getting everything online and then like just quickly ship to the doorstep, it's a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with great ingredients and sourcing methods. They got Amy's, Banza, Burt's Bees, Trobani, Honest Kids, Kind, Mike's Hot Honey, Oatly, Olipop, Poppy, Salt. I've never heard of salt, but it's got two A's in it, so it has to be good. And as a Thrive Market member, you can save money on every single grocery order. On average, you can save over 30% every time. And they also have a deals page that changes every day. When you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a $60 free gift. I enjoyed my $60 free gift. I was surprised by it, and it was the kind of thing I wouldn't have bought. And then now I'm like on the ghee train. They gave me free ghee. And I was like, I don't know what ghee is. But then I was like, oh, this is great. It's like butter, but it's different and more spreadable. <laughs> Go to thrivemarket.com slash dearhank for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash dearhank, thrivemarket.com slash dearhank. Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, There will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius, because there will be a world without us. All right, Hank, I have a question from Willoughby that I really want to ask you. Hi, Hank and John. I prefer John and Hank Willoughby, but that's fine. Why can't we just collect all the trash in the world into a giant ball and slingshot it out into the deep space, which will simultaneously create a new planet and deal with all of the world's trash problems? I've been thinking about this for years now. Willoughby. It's great, Willoughby. Let's do it. Deep space trash planet. I think the big issue with it is that it's very um, energy intensive to get a massive amount of trash off the planet. Oh yeah, no, for sure. It would. It also, would... for it to be a planet-sized thing of trash, we would need all of the mass of the Earth to be trash. Well, or at least know, all third... of the mass of like Mercury to be trash. Yeah, yeah, which would be very difficult. It, it, I don't know, Hank. Trash is a, We could trash do is it. Pretty... If based, based on this liminal space that I'm looking at right now, there's probably like 600 pounds of trash just back here. That's true, but the Earth is a lot more than 600 pounds. It's, it's very weird how big the Earth is and so, also how small the Earth is. Yeah. At the same time. Yeah. Um... Yeah, but uh, it would cost around thirty-three quadrillion dollars. Someone, someone, uh, oh, calculated that. Wow, which is is that expensive? Basically, all the money. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> we'd yeah, uh, we'd all have to work it, together really it, hard. Would it be so expensive because of the fuel costs? Yeah, you It would basically use all of the fuel that we have, mm. uh, which we don't. We want to use it for some other stuff. Probably would do a great deal of harm to the environment. Oh, really? So we would re- be removing the trash, but we would be, like, dramatically increasing carbon emissions because of all the expense of um, all the, all would, the carbon yes. we would burn shooting the trash into space. significantly bad, yes. What if we, we used wouldn't to sl- want to. What if we used a slingshot? Um, well, that also would, unfortunately... There, there is a thing uh, that, that is this idea... Mm. Um, where it's not a slingshot, but it is like a basically a basically just like a thing that spins really fast. Yeah, a spinner. And it gets spinning faster and faster and faster, mm-hmm. and then it like lets go of it. Yeah. Um, Sometimes. And uh, yeah, I remember somebody did that to me in middle school. It sucked. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's like that except yeah. you go all the way to space. Yeah, you fly. That's I got flew a like four problems. feet. It was very, it was very exciting. Uh-huh. But this would this would be an even more extreme version where you go all the way to yeah. space. It's got some problems. Oh. Uh, a lot of the trash would vaporize on the way up because oh, no. of the. the <laughs> that sounds pretty <laughs> <But> serious. <laughs> And then, then that would be in the atmosphere. Uh, so you wouldn't want to do that to a lot of trash. Then you've got another problem of needing to power the spinner, which then would also require uh, no. some source of energy, which maybe you could do with just uh, acres and acres and acres of solar panels or fusion reactions or something. But um, the great thing, I think that we think trash is a... We've got a lot of problems. I'm not saying trash isn't a problem, but I think that we think a trash is, that trash is a bigger problem than it is. Uh, because we've got some bigger ones. I'm not saying it shouldn't be on the list, but it's kind of visible. We experience it. We do a lot of the, the sort of throwing away of trash, so we see it. Uh, we don't see that the hole in the side of our house that's burning the natural gas is sort of chugging natural gas, or uh, not natural gas, hopefully, uh, carbon dioxide into the environment. We don't, it's invisible. You can put your hand up to it and feel it, but you don't really ever think about it. And that is actually a bigger problem for the earth than trash. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What is this hole in my house that is chugging carbon dioxide into the atmosphere? uh, It's the hole, it's the the vent that the water heater and and furnace vent through. So Good to know. Water heater and furnace almost definitely run on natural gas, though I don't know for sure. Um, Mine do. For most people. Mine Um, do. But, and, but yeah, they you can won't. Hold your hand up to the little. Your house has an exhaust pipe. No one ever talks about the fact that houses have exhaust pipes, but they do. Yeah, no, that's. Wow, I don't think I'd ever. I don't think I knew that my house had an exhaust pipe. It does. It's one of your biggest sources of carbon emissions. That the exhaust pipe in your house. Oh, Hank. Speaking of carbon emissions. Um, yes. I had we had an idea on the Patreon earlier today, and I just want to run through the viability of it. Okay. So I'm in Ohio for the Turtles All the Way Down movie, and the two remaining racks, the roast beef restaurant that Hank and I went to as a child, are also in Ohio, but they are not close to me. They're actually like as far away from me as Indianapolis is, and if like all things being equal, I'd probably prefer to drive home. <laughs> Nothing against racks. Yep. But uh-huh. I also really want to go to racks one more time before we die. So what and also, like, who knows when these raxes are going to close? Yeah, right. I mean, we don't know about the health of these raxes. Um, uh-huh. So I'm wondering about the ethics of the next time you visit me chartering a plane to go to the racks. Like, well, you know how, like, thing. all the famous YouTubers, like, charter planes... <laughs> And, like, make videos where they're, like... Mr. Beast it up. Yeah, 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 where they're, like, I'm on my private jet. What if we did Mm -hmm. that, but we just went to racks? Well, here's here's the thing. Um, No, obviously not, but there are more economical and fuel-efficient methods of flying. Like, getting a doing a private jet, we're not going to do that. (laughs) But I bet a Cessna could get us there. And, like, three people in a Cessna is not that much less efficient than driving. So you, me, and the who's, pilot. Oh, I was going to say who's the third person, but then I realized. No, <laughs> <laughs> we probably shouldn't consider that a person because, like, I mean, okay, they don't, they don't uh, care uh, where they're going. Counter argument. They don't, don't want to go to the racks. Counter argument. Yeah. Three people in a Cessna who've just been to racks and are there now no flying plane, back no. to Indianapolis. <laughs> <laughs> in a bathroom-free situation seems yeah, yeah. like potentially my idea of hell. It's, you know what it sounds like is a great YouTube video. <laughs> sounds like an awesome YouTube video, and it sounds remember, like two very stressed-out wives remember, is what it sounds like to me. Remember the finish racks where the Google reviewer <laughs> said that the ice cream machine destroyed his pants? Yeah, <laughs> I do not want to destroy this man's plane. Uh, I mean, not to mention our pants, which would definitely be destroyed. Like, yeah, the plane might recover, but I, I think the damage to our pants would definitely be fatal. I mean, I'm not sure I could keep my crap together, literally or figuratively, on the Cessna, even with, without racks being involved. 
like. Yeah. That sounds very stressful to me. I do not want to fly at 900 feet in, with a stranger piloting a twin-engine aircraft so that I can go to racks. <laughs> I mean, it is a great video. Twin-engine? Really, no way. It's a really good. One engine. It's a really, That's too inefficient, John. Oh, God. I mean, imagine when we crash, Hank. Imagine the obituaries. <laughs> Hank and John Green died today doing what they loved. <laughs> Being idiots on the way to a rat. Trying to commit to a bit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, John, what's the news from AFC Wimbledon? I know what it is, but you're, I'm going to make you say it. Oh, Wimbledon have been relegated to the fourth tier of English football. Uh... So League Two. League Two. Sounds better. Uh, so yes, we have been we have been relegated. It is so frustrating because it actually to to stay up this year required fewer points than it has ever required in the history of the third tier of English football. Uh, it only required forty one points from forty six games. We could have tied every game and stayed up. We could have won any of the la- like two of the last ten games instead of drawing. It's we were. It's just so frustrating, but we, I mean, the truth is, if you don't win a game for more than half the season, and Wimbledon still have not won a game since December of 2021, if you don't win any of your last 26 games, you're going to get relegated, and we got relegated. And, I mean, it, it, it felt inevitable for so long that, to me, the real, the I mean, it's hard to pick one moment where it started to feel inevitable. But, I mean, of the 26 games that we've gone without a win, we've had 14 or 15 leads. And so, yeah, it's just hard to conclude that anything else would have been appropriate. The people, of course, will be looking for silver linings. I mean, hopefully we'll win more games next season. Um, Yeah. You know, we own the stadium. It's our stadium. It's the fan stadium. It's the fans' club. That doesn't change. And, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully we will have a budget that is appropriate for, for League Two. But there's no getting around how difficult it is for a football club to be relegated because it's really hard to get back up, you know, especially for, for a club like mm-hmm. Wimbledon that, that don't have gigantic money behind them. And so it sucks. I'm really sorry for all the fans, all the players, all the fans I've brought into the club. I feel responsible for this. I feel responsible for their sadness. Um, but I do. I, I think at the core, the you know the community is still there and their home. And I can't believe we got relegated in the first season with fans back at Plow Lane. Like I really thought that was going to be a path to sustainability in League One, and maybe it will be eventually. But not this season. So just uh, just sucks all around. The only other silver lining, Hank, is that, um, and, and you never root for a team to get relegated, of course, but the only other silver lining is that we will next year in League Two still play Gillingham and or Gillingham. So I still get to make that joke. <laughs> That's the only other good thing is that the Gillingham slash Gillingham joke survives just as GIF and JIF do. So, yeah, it just... I. You know, yeah. So we go again. Uh, it's a short off season this year, relatively short because of the World Cup being in the winter. So won't be too long without Wimbledon football. But yeah, next season we'll be uh, in the bottom tier of the football league. So we need to stabilize and grow from there. Well, in Mars news this week, the uh, Ingenuity helicopter did something very, very cool. What did it, it do? Went. It, it flew over to the place where the uh, the parachute and oh, yeah. the, the I saw that. shell I saw that. It, like, took a, it, took a, it took a picture of its former self. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, like, super freaking cool. It's, like, this crashed, this spaceship crashed on the surface of Mars. Yeah. And, and can, is, they, can they kind of tell? Wildly awesome. Can they kind of tell from photographing the crash site via helicopter like if things went about as they hoped they would go 
Yeah, yeah, it, it went as expected. And, uh, and you know, I don't know what they, I don't know what they learned from this. I don't know if you can say like, ah, good, well, this is exactly... Right, uh, Martian gravity can, can and, say, and, and geology is just as we expected. Yeah. My my guess is that it's more like we wanted to take this picture, but like maybe there's some good science, uh, uh, at least about the behavior of the spacecraft that right. is useful from from the perspective of of these photos. But like some of the weirdest photos of uh, the surface of another planet I've ever seen. Um, yeah, just to see like a, a literal crashed spacecraft on on Mars. It looks very human, for lack of a better term. Yeah. It looks it 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 emphasizes that. Uh, humans have made a pretty significant intervention we're not just living in the anthropocene mars is also living in the anthropocene a little bit yeah yeah mars's anthropocene is just getting started and people are like oh i'm sure people hearing that are like oh that's really bad news but i would totally disagree i think mars having an anthropocene is the best news mars has had in some time yeah yes um i think that it's probably you know better news for mars than it is for earth in some ways Oh, oh, yeah. No, I... Well, well it gets a little rougher. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah but, for Earth, know, it's more complicated. Mars is probably like, oh, this is nice. Mar- Mars is like, oh, what's that? Something's this happening. This is Something kind of fun again. I, it's been a while since I, somebody tickled. I, I, <laughs> yeah, I did see a couple of comments that were like, oh, now we're literal- littering on another planet. Right. And again, I just, like, trash is a, a, a problem. But I think that it, it matters more... Oftentimes, it matters more in terms of like what it looks like to human eyes than yeah. to the actual environment it is inside of. Yeah. Um, well, I just think the thing to emphasize in general is that we are a catastrophe, but we are also <laughs> much else. Like we are, yes. we are complicated, and embracing that compl- yeah. complexity, I I think, is key to being able to move forward. Yeah, I agree, John. Well, Hank, thank you for potting with me. I cannot wait to get off of this bucket. <laughs> Well, you can't get off of it yet because I'm going to make you go record This Week in Stuff with me, our patron-only podcast. Patreon.com slash Dear Hank and John, which is also where you can see three pictures of my sweet, sweet setup. <laughs> this podcast is edited by Joseph Tunamedish. It's produced by Rosiana Hals-Rojas. Our communications coordinator is Julia Bloom. Our editorial assistant is Deboki Chakravarti. The music you're hearing now and at the beginning of the podcast is by The Great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to be awesome. awesome.